Jeremiah 32, verses 41 and 42. I will rejoice in doing them good, and I will plant them in this land in faithfulness with all my heart and all my soul. For thus says the Lord, just as I have brought all this great disaster upon this people, so I will bring upon them all the good that I promised them. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Just the reality of it, how it is, uh, just deals with life where we're at. God, even though it was years ago, nothing is new under the sun. Lord, I pray now that you would fill me afresh with your spirit, God, that you would guide and direct me. Uh, you know what your sheep that are here today need to hear from you. And I pray, God, that you would do a miracle in the preaching of your word. Anoint me and fill me afresh, Lord, that I might be used by you. Give me ears to hear your spirit even as I preach. And do this for your glory, God, and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, my wife Lisa and I talk about this often, but we say, you know, when the doors open at church on Sunday... You just don't know the burdens that people are carrying when they walk in. And people are carrying heavy things. Not everyone, but a good portion of them. You know, maybe it's years of personal physical suffering. It's always there, just never letting up. Maybe it's just a burden of a loved one and where they're at spiritually or not at spiritually. Maybe it's your children or your grandchildren or your spouse or your marriage. There's heavy burdens that people carry. You know, John uh, Young preached a couple of years ago a message that said it's, it's okay not to be okay. And that's true, but we walk into the church and people don't know our burdens. They don't know the heaviness that we're carrying, the difficult things that are on our hearts. And... It can be overwhelming at times. And that's why we need a book like Jeremiah. Because it, Jeremiah was one of those people who had deep personal struggles and national struggles. That's another thing. Maybe you come in here and you're just thinking about, you know, what's happening in America? What's happening in the church? looking the other way at sin and acting as if it's, it's fine, it's not sin. And Jeremiah struggled with that. Jeremiah was in a constant battle with depression. Feels like he wanted to quit. You know, have you ever thought this way? You know, Jeremiah is saying, man, I, I wish I was never born. You know, he was just so heavy with the things that God had called him to do that were happening in his life that he just wanted to quit. He wanted to give up. He didn't want the job that God called him to, but he had to walk in obedience. And that's why I say today, this is the main point. Like Jeremiah, we need to find the strength in bearing our burdens in Jesus Christ and in the gospel promises because that's what Jeremiah points us to. 
if you look at it, the book of Jeremiah was written around 630 to 580 B.C. And if you read through Jeremiah this last week, you read through the longest book in the Bible. It's got more words than any other book. It's the longest book in the Bible. And uh, the thing about it is it's not in chronological order. It's thematic, so it's kind of confusing sometimes when you read through Jeremiah. But here's a general outline of that book. First of all, chapter 1 is the call of the prophet. Then chapter 2 through 20, the oracles of God's judgment on Judah. 21 through 24, the end of the Davidic dynasty. 25 through 29, the necessity of Babylonian dominance. And then in the middle of this really dark, heavy book are these chapters, this light that shines in the middle of the darkness. It actually starts a little bit in chapter 29. But then from 30 to 33, the promises of restoration. Then we go to chapter 34 to 39, Jerusalem's last days. Chapter 40 through 45, aftermath of the fall of Jerusalem. In chapter 46 through 51, God's judgment on the Gentile nations. Well, Jeremiah was the ninth and last prophet in Judah's final 45 years of existence. He was there for the last five kings. He was there for the somewhat rest, uh, revival that happened under Josiah. But mostly it was just really heavy stuff. He had a job that God called him to do, and like I said, he, he didn't want the job that God gave him because what God called Jeremiah to do was to warn Judah that there was coming destruction because for a thousand years they did not repent of their idolatry and immorality. They just refused. It's not that big of a deal. We're going to talk about this next week. And he was to warn them that the judgment is coming. And, you know, we look at judgment, or we look at a warning, and we say that's pretty, a pretty cruel thing. Judgment is, a, or I'm sorry, a warning is a grace. It's God saying, hey, this is going to happen. Change your ways. Turn. If you don't, this is what's going to go, what's going to happen. So Jeremiah was an extension of God's grace, warning the people. Yet all this man reaped, all he reaped, in 40 years of ministry, is hate. They threatened him. They persecuted him. He was beaten. He was put in stocks. And he was imprisoned for warning the people. Because you have not repented, God is bringing judgment. And here's the thing. 40 years plus of ministry... And there is not one single sign in the written word of God that his ministry was even slightly successful. Forty years. No change in the people. Warning and warning and warning. No change. And when I say successful, you have to understand that that's in man's eyes because what did God call Jeremiah to do? To obey him. To obey him and tell, warn people of what was coming. He was obedient, and what happened as a result of his obedience was in God's hands, not his hands. God is the one who provides the fruit. 
So whether it was 40 years of success in man's eyes, with a great repentance or whatever, or 40 years of nothing happening, Jeremiah was called to be obedient and to speak what God had told him to speak. And he did that. But in man's eyes, it wasn't very successful. And then you have to understand the context of what was happening. This broken-hearted prophet with this heartbreaking message witnessed and wept over Jerusalem's fall to the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar. He watched it happen. He was there for it. He wasn't giving a warning to England about coming judgment and then kind of standing by and watching it in the news what was happening. He was saying, this is what's going to happen in the Cooley region, and he was part of it. He was watching it happen. He was in the city of Jerusalem when he saw the cannibalism, when King Nebuchadnezzar sieged Jerusalem. And he was there for that. He had warned them in love. He's called the weeping prophet because his heart was breaking over what was happening. And he watched it happening. Can you imagine that? Knowing how we are as people, what happened to him? He's walking through the streets and people are saying, it's because of you, Jeremiah. You're the one. We wouldn't be going through this if it wasn't for you. Isn't that the way the world is? People walk in sin and they blame someone else. It's always someone else's fault. It's not theirs. We're, we live in a society where everyone is the victim and nobody wants to take responsibility for their lives and the fruit of it. And I can just see Jeremiah being, fingers being pointed at him as he's watching the suffering and his heart is breaking and people are blaming him. He's watching the city come apart as it is being sieged. And then once it is captured, he's watching the citizens, his, his nation, his people, his friends being taken into captivity as slaves and exiled into Babylon. He's watching this happen. And he can't do anything about it. And what happened is this nation of Judah even after they were conquered by Nebuchadnezzar, decided they were going to rebel, so Nebuchadnezzar comes back. And he does what is the unthinkable in a Jewish person's mind. Because the center for them of God's glory was Solomon's temple. And Jerusalem was the holy city. And Nebuchadnezzar comes back the second time, and he levels it all. He levels it all. And can you imagine being a Jewish person looking at that saying, this can't happen. Our God is great. He dwells in the temple, Solomon's temple. How can this be? Is there no hope? Has God been defeated? Can you relate to that today? You look around and you see everything crumbling and right is wrong and wrong is right. And God is mocked. And no one's standing up and it seems like everything's getting leveled. And that's what these people felt. Jeremiah's friends and family, and fellow citizens. And he's watching it all come apart. 
And he's weeping. His heart is breaking over what's happening. And this weeping prophet is a picture of God's heart. As he is weeping over his people when he has to discipline them. It's hard. It's hard. You know, we, if you're a kid, you've heard this. When you were a kid, you probably heard this. When you're getting disciplined, your pop said to you, you want to finish it for me? This is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. And as a kid, you say, oh, no, it's not. Oh, no, it's not. And as a father, you can understand it now. And that's the way that it is with our Heavenly Father. Our Heavenly Father takes no joy in disciplining His children. But He loves them, so He will discipline them. Take a look at God's Word in Hebrews. Hebrews 12, 5 through 11. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have, an earthly, we have had earthly fathers who di- disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined for a short time, as seemed best for them. But he disciplines... Now, here's the reason why. Here's the reason why. For he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness conditionally to those who have been trained by it. See, just because you're being disciplined doesn't mean you're going to learn a lesson of the discipline. And that's the key. Why is God disciplining? You know, it's important to understand the difference between discipline and punishment. Because we somehow use those terms interchangeably, but that's not the case. When we look at Scripture, what does the word punishment mean? The word punishment is when God judges an enemy with condemnation or wrath, and the goal is retribution. That's the goal. You see, because the Father is holy and righteous and just, He punished our sin in Christ. Your sin didn't just not get punished. It did. It got punished in Christ because God is just. God is holy. God is righteous. And so we had sinned. We were separated from God. We committed a crime against the the greatest God. And what happened was he judged that in Christ. We were separated. Jesus came down in God's grace and mercy and lived that perfect sinless life. And went to the cross and was punished for our sin. Why? Because we were enemies of God. We were enemies of God. And Jesus was punished for our sin. And three days later, he rose. And if by God's grace, which means we receive something we don't deserve, by faith, believing in something we do not see, in Jesus, 
Then what happened is this miracle occurred when you, the day, the moment you received the gift of salvation. You were no longer an enemy. You were adopted into the family. You were now a child of God. And guess what? As a child, He loves you enough to discipline you now when we need it, when we're unrepentant, when we walk in sin. And that's a picture that we have here because discipline is when the father loves his children and the goal is righteousness and holiness. He sees something in us. He sees something in us. And he says, you know what? I'm going to root that out. It can be painful. No discipline is fun at the moment. Maybe you're being disciplined right now. Understand that if you are, it's because you're a child of the living God. And maybe you're not the one being disciplined, but you're part of the collateral damage. You know, you're not the one that is, has sinned and and is walking in rebellion against God, yet you're suffering because of someone else. What we like to do in our flesh is say, well, it's just because of what of them. Unfortunately, I'm just part of the collateral damage. Well, maybe God is trying to work something in you too. Because that's what I'm going through. I'm realizing that there's some difficult times. And God in His goodness is working some things in my life. He's saying, Dan, you know, you're awfully self-righteous. You need to repent of that. You're pretty prideful too. And you see, it's so easy to see when God is disciplining someone and you're part of that collateral damage to think there's nothing in it for you. And there is. Because God loves you enough to show you. It's all part of His design. But if you're the one being disciplined, know this. The Lord is disciplining you Because he intensely loves you. And we read the scripture way too quick. Take a look at these verses we read earlier and slow down. Look at this. Jeremiah 32, 41 through 42. I will rejoice in doing them good. Stop right there. What is the context? The content text is absolute destruction of Jerusalem and King Solomon's temple. That's the context. There, it's, everything is coming apart. His world is collapsing. Can you relate to that? Everything around him that he had put his hope in was imploding. His friends were dying. He was being blamed for things He was not responsible for. Everything was coming apart. And in the midst of this, God makes promises. And he says, now, Jeremiah, I want you to communicate this to the people. I will rejoice in doing them good. Sure didn't feel like good at that time, did it? Man, where is the good in this? Can you relate to that? God, how are you doing me good? in this difficult thing that I'm in, this burden that you're asking me to bear. I don't see it. And in this darkness, God makes a promise. He says, here, look, look, look. 
I will rejoice in doing them good. This is God speaking about his heart to his people that he is disciplining. Maybe, like I said, you're not being disciplined, but it's collateral damage or it's just life. And I will plant them in this land in faithfulness with all my heart and with all my soul. Do you, do you hear that? God is speaking to you about how he will rejoice in doing you good with all his heart and all his soul. The infinite God loves you that passionately with all my heart, with all my soul, I will do them good. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Because God's word says that. With all my heart, with all my soul, I rejoice in doing them good. For thus says the Lord, just as I have brought all this disaster upon this people, so I will bring upon them all the good that I promised them. You see the hope there? I brought this upon them. This is a heavy stuff. There's a lot of things going on. But you know what? I will fulfill all my promises of good. Don't doubt that. In the middle of this thing, I'm carrying this burden and it is so tough. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your finances. I don't know what it is. You know. You know exactly what I meant. The whole week it's on your head. It keeps coming back moment after moment. And you keep taking your thoughts captive and it just is relentless. And the burden gets so heavy. And you wonder where God is. And he says, I will rejoice over them. I will do them good. Just like I promised. And then in Lamentations 3, 21 through 26. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him. To the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. That's what we need to do. Talking about Lamentations next week. It's another heavy book that Jeremiah wrote. But look at the hope here. You say, here's where my hope is. Here's where my joy is in the midst of bearing these burdens. It's in my Lord. It's keeping my eyes on Christ. That's what I need to do. He intensely loves you. You need to know that, and you need to believe that. That all things work for the good. He has boundless love towards you if you're being disciplined. His grace is faithful, and His mercies are new every morning. Stand on that. And if you're the one being disciplined, I want to encourage you, repent. Turn from your ways. Well, it's not that big of a deal of sin. If you're being disciplined for it, it, clearly it is. And learn the lesson of the discipline. Don't just try to make it through without learning what God wants to do. So here we go. Everything is dark. 
All these things are happening around Jeremiah and God saying, warn the people, warn the people. And Jeremiah walks in obedience. He warns the people through prophecy of Jerusalem's ruin and desolation. And God says, but also give my people hope. I have another prophecy I want to give you. That prophecy was going to deal with the fact that God wasn't going to abandon his people. He wasn't going to do it. He was not going to abandon his people. But eventually he would restore his people. He's going to restore his people. In the midst of these dark, heavy prophecies and all the things going on, there's this light in the middle of this book. It is a glorious light. It is a light you and I celebrated this morning, and you didn't even realize it. It's right here in Jeremiah. Take a look at God's word again. Here's his people. Jeremiah 29, 11 through 14. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil. Again, how do you receive that when everything's falling apart? It's what God said. He said, prophesy this, Jeremiah, to my people to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me. Then you will seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place which I sent you into exile. God gives him hope. He said, I have not abandoned you. I should. In man's eyes, I should abandon but I will not do that. I have a plan that is for good and not for evil. Do you believe that about your situation? It's for good and not for evil. And then God gives him a prophecy. Jeremiah 25, 12. And after 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation and the land of the Chaldeans for their iniquity, declares the Lord, making the land an everlasting waste. Here's what happened. There's this prophecy of death and gloom, and then God says, you know what, but I'm not going to abandon you. There's hope. The hope is, is that I will eventually restore Judah. I'm going to do that. This is the chapter, Jeremiah 25, scholars believe that Daniel was reading when he realized when they were in captivity, oh my goodness, the 70 years is up. God's about to set his people free. He was reading Jeremiah. And he goes, what? It's time. Our captivity is over. God didn't abandon his people. What a glorious promise to people who were desperate, where everything was coming apart. I I would need to hear news like that, wouldn't you, if you were in their situation? I'd need to hear that there was hope, at least for my family. Because if I'm like 60 years old and they're saying 70 years, I ain't going to say it. But maybe it's my kids. God had not abandoned them. And you know what? You know what's really incredible? There's a greater promise for you in Jeremiah. There's an even better promise for you. And as I said, I screwed up. It got out of my line here. We celebrated it at communion time. It's right there in Jeremiah. Hidden. 
this secret treasure, this light in the middle of the darkness, these chapters right here. What happened is this. God made a promise to us as believers, and this is one of several Old Testament promises about the new covenant. You know the new covenant we talked about at communion time? Jesus said, this is the new covenant in my blood. This is the first time in the Old Testament where we see the full new covenant laid out. Think about that for a second. The new covenant of the promise of a coming Savior, someone who would set the people free. We look as we're going through all the books of the Bible to find Christ in every book of the Bible, and there are so many places where Jesus is referenced throughout Jeremiah. I just want to focus on this one, this new covenant, this promise hidden in this dark book. The first time the new covenant is really laid out, and it is incredible because it was fulfilled by Jesus. Take a look at this. Maybe you remember hearing these words throughout the New Testament. Take a look at this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them out by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. What was that? That was the old covenant. That was the law. Here's the Ten Commandments. Live by these. Well, you couldn't live by them. They didn't do anything to set us free. They pointed us to our need for a Savior. And he goes on, My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. Look at this. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, for the least, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sins no more. The new covenant, the promise of a coming Messiah, Jesus, right there in this dark book. You see, in Jeremiah, God was speaking to you. Right there, the promise of the new covenant coming that Jesus would fulfill. It's incredible what happened. This is the same new covenant promise that is spoken of in Hebrews chapter 8, Luke chapter 22, and what I read, 1 Corinthians chapter eleven twenty-five. 25. Here it is spoken of in Jeremiah, all laid out. It's incredible. You see, what was happening, and we've learned this throughout the Old Testament, is God says, how do you handle life today? How do we handle the burdens that we're bearing? There's two ways he calls us to, to examine the past. To look back, to remember God's faithfulness, and to do what? To look forward and remember God's promises. And here the new covenant is laid out. What is a new covenant for you and I today? What does that promise us? What did we just celebrate? A promise of forgiveness. I will forgive their iniquity. I will remember their sin no more. It's a promise that we are justified and pardoned. Justified just as if I'd never sinned. We were sinners separated from God. Christ dies on the cross and his righteousness is imputed to us. God considered it, considers it as if we had lived that life. 
That's why we're justified, saved, and we're pardoned from our sin. Then there's the promise of transformation. Not just justification, but sanctification. Being made like Jesus. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. I believe that's a promise of the Holy Spirit, that he would dwell within us, and God would change us from the inside. He would change our desires to desire the things that honor God. Is a promise of transformation that the Spirit would indwell and enable us, empower us to love God, to walk in holiness. What a beautiful promise. It's a promise that there would be a loving relationship with God. A loving relationship with God. You're not his enemy, you're his child now because of what Christ has done and that he will never turn away from you. He will never abandon you. You hear that? It feels like that sometimes when the burden gets heavy, doesn't it? But you know what? Jesus is our comforter in the midst of our sorrow, in the midst of our burden bearing. He's the one who will be our comforter and strengthen us. Take a look, Jeremiah 31, 13. Then shall the young women rejoice in the dance, and the young men and the old shall be merry. Again, remember the context. I will turn their mourning into joy. I will comfort them and give them gladness for sorrow. Do you need gladness for sorrow today? Because that's where you find it in Christ. In this dark book are some of the greatest verses of encouragement. I will turn their mourning into joy. Wow, what an incredible, incredible promise. He will never leave us nor forsake us. And we will have this relationship with our God. Not distant, not in some temple, but right where we're at. That's a promise that the new covenant brings. That's why we celebrate it. And also, a promise that he will forever be our God and we will forever be his people. Ryan talked about this last week. God doesn't renege on his promises. We will always be his children forever and all eternity. And that with all my heart and with all my soul, love will be there for all eternity. That will never change. That is part of the covenant promise, the new covenant promises that we celebrated today at communion time. That those are locked in. They're not based on our performance. They're based on Jesus' performance for us on the cross through his perfect life, through his resurrection. Those are promises that help us to hold on when the burdens get heavy. Because the truth is that there will be and there are heavy burdens to bear in this life. That's just the truth of it. And the older you get, the more you realize that's true. And it seems like the burdens get heavier too. I don't think they do, but maybe they do. I don't know. I'm trying to figure it out myself. You see, we find the strength to bear our burdens in Christ and in the gospel promises. That's where we find the strength to bear these burdens, the difficulties, the struggles that we have. You see, Christ 
is the one who empowers us. He's the one. We have to learn how to cast our cares upon him. Why? Because he wants to carry the burden for you. Stop carrying it for yourself. He will empower you to cast this care, our cares upon him. Show us how to do that, Lord. It can be so difficult sometimes to know what that looks like. We need to bear those burdens by the strength of Christ and remembering the promises of the gospel that these things are true. And you know what? Part of bearing a burden is this. Obeying God when it is difficult. Jeremiah had to do that. It was not easy for him to look at friends and say, judgment is coming. And his friend looks at him and says, how can you say that? Jeremiah says, I'm just telling you what the word of God says. You see, obeying, obey God when it's difficult. Even if it costs you personally. Financially, maybe. It's easier to cheat than to be honest in the taxes. Maybe it'll cost you relationally by standing on the word of God. You say, no, that's sin. No, it's not. No, it's not. You're a bigot. You're whatever, whatever title they want to throw on. Will you stand on God's word? Will you obey when it is costly in a world that's becoming ever darker? Can you stand on God's word by his grace and his mercy and say, no, I love you, but this is wrong. This is what God's word says. It might cost you personally. So will you stand? Will you be Jeremiah today? Here's another thing. Believe God's word over your feelings. You know why? Because feelings lie. Take a look at God's word. Jeremiah. Again, in Jeremiah, all this good stuff. 17.9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And then Psalm 46, 1 through 2. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. Doesn't it feel like that when you're carrying a heavy burden? In Psalm 91, 14 through 15. Because he holds, fat, holds, me, he holds fast to me in love. Okay, Because we hang on to Jesus. And really, we don't hang on to him. He hangs on to us. Okay, Because our... our we can't do it in our strength. But look at this. I will deliver him. I will protect him. Because he knows my name, when he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. That's what it says. And then finally in Habakkuk. Though the fig tree should not blossom, no fruit beyond the vines, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, Life is falling apart, is what it's saying. Though it feels like life is falling apart, sometimes life, from the outside people looking in, I'm going to say this, from the outside people looking in, it doesn't look like life is falling apart. But in your heart, that's what it feels like. Like everything is coming undone. And this burden is heavy, whatever it is. And he's saying, though all these things happen, though all, look at this, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Wow. Don't you want that in your heart? 
yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes my, me tread in, on my high places. You see, we have to believe God's word over our own emotions, our own hearts. So we stand on God's word and we take our thoughts captive and we say, you know what? The enemy comes into accuse and says, God doesn't love you, quit. And you say, no, God does love me. Well, if God loves you, why is this happening? I trust God because the God, God's word says all things work for the good. This is really hard, but I trust God. You take your thoughts captive, you stand on God's word, you trust God that in his infinite wisdom, in his perfect plan, he will bring about the best for his children, even though it doesn't feel like it sometimes. He will bring about the best for his children, and that includes you. God's got something he's working. Trust him. Do you believe he loves you desperately? Because he does. No matter what it looks like on the outside, he loves you desperately. So never lose hope. Never lose heart. Because Jesus is your great comforter and your great conqueror. He is. He will give you hope and grace and strength in your time of need. That is a promise in the word of God. And here's the incredible thing. Even in the midst of all that, even in the heaviness of your burden that you're carrying, if you're carrying a heavy one today, God can cause you to rejoice in the Lord even in the midst of that burden bearing by remembering Christ and the promises that the new covenant has bought you, that you are a child of God and he is working all things for your good, for his glory. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we don't even, I can't even grasp the burdens that people are carrying in this room today, Lord. You do. And I ask that you would do a miracle. First of all, Lord, <clears throat> would you cause us to cast our cares upon you for you care for us? Show us how to do that, Lord. God, would you bear the burden, God, and cause even in the midst of that bearing, Lord, would you bring joy in our hearts for you? God, would you bring hope where the enemy has stolen all hope? that we might reflect on your greatness and your goodness, God, and help us hold on to that. Lord, I pray that you would do a miracle today and cause your people that are bearing heavy burdens to rejoice in you, Lord, and their salvation in the midst of it and to continue to cast those cares upon you and take their thoughts captive so that your name would be glorified and, God, that we would receive a blessing because of it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's continue to worship our great and good God. Let's stand.